Hello, and welcome to Imprint Podcast, where we share sermons and conversations about faith, life, and culture. We believe it's the mark Jesus makes in us that allows us to positively mark our world. To find out more about life at Imprint, please head over to weareimprint.org for more information. We hope you are blessed by today's content. for Benita. Thank you. So yeah, as mentioned, my name is Zach and I am an intern here at Imprint and I'm also a fourth year university student at King's College London. So it's a great honor to be stood before you today, but before we get started, have you said hi to your neighbor? Have you, how many times have you said hi? Okay, say hi to the other one. Say hi to your other neighbor. So today, as Benita told, um, as Benita said, we are continuing the Church of the City series. And that, that's where we've learned that as imprint, that we are not only a church based right slap bang in the middle of London, but we are a church for London. And as the parish church, we are also the church for Bank, which is this area here. We're the church of St. Mary's down the road of this building, St. Edmund's and St. Clement's East Cheap. Is that right? Okay, yeah, I forget the name. Um, so it's right there. But yeah, before we get started, I'm just going to pray for us. So yeah, Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for today, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are good and you are great, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that today we're able to come and learn more about who you are. Come and learn more about your love, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I just pray right now, would you remove any distractions from our minds, Lord God? Would you remove any distractions from our hearts, Lord Jesus? Lord, I just pray that you would help us to focus on what you are saying. And just remove any thoughts of ours that, Lord God, could be distracting us in this time, Lord Jesus. And yeah, Lord God, we just bless you, Lord God, and we're just excited to see what you are going to do in this sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. So this message is called Loving Without Discrimination. So this is a sermon based on Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48, if you'd like to turn there. So that's Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. And whilst you're going there, I'm just going to give you a bit of context. So Jesus is speaking here. And this is a part of his epic sermon on the mount where he details the Beatitudes, which is like a list of people who are blessed, such as blessed are the poor in spirit. Then he tells the disciples about who they are and their relationship in the world and to the world. Found in you are the light of the world. He then details about personal relationships in the final section. And that's where we find this section of the scripture. So I'll read it for us from verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your own people, what more are you doing than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
Amen. Amen. So we're just going to go verse by verse in this, and then we're going to go somewhere else as well. So let's start off with verse 44. So it says here, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now that word used, love there, in the Greek is the word agape. That means a certain kind of special love. But let's go through the other kinds of love that are detailed in the Greek language first. So in the Greek language, there are four kinds of love, whereas English, we only have one word to kind of express all these things. So the first love is philo, which refers to a love between friends. There's eros, which is the love between couples. It's kind of like an intimate love. There's storge, which is the familial love, like you'd have between brothers and you have between mothers and fathers. Mothers and their children, I mean. Um, that would be eros between the mothers and the fathers. Um, but agape is the God kind of love. It refers to an unconditional form of love, an indiscriminate love, a love without discrimination. So no matter what the other person does, that recipient of the love, agape love remains steadfast. This is the love that Jesus showed and continues to show to us through his sufferings and his death on the cross. He still unconditionally loves us. And he's not calling us to do something that he hasn't already been through here. So he formed the very hands that nailed him to that cross. And this adds a level of empathy that Jesus understands that it's difficult to love your enemies and to love those who've hurt you or even those that hate you. Regardless of the level of disrespect, harm, damage done by the person, Jesus calls us to unconditionally love them and even pray for those that mean to do us harm. So I have a story of a brief example of some kind of unconditional love in my life. So this is a story from when I was around 15 or 16. And for the most part, I was a good kid. I didn't know Jesus, so I definitely wasn't that good. Um, but my issue was that I liked to smoke from time to time. I know. As a, as a med student, I now know that is bad. Um, <laughs> and I've stopped. Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> now, one day I was out and about. But I'd left my bag at home where my cigarettes were. And cigarettes. <laughs> and now while I was away, my mum needed to go into my bag to get some stationery from my brother. Yeah, so much to her surprise, she found my smoking materials. Um, <laughs> so as you can imagine, she was quite upset. But she used the line, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. And it was all a long, protracted conversation. But after all of that and her really expressing her anger towards me, well, disappointment, um, I asked her, do you still love me? And her response was that she'll always love me. She's just hurt right now. And I think that's just for me, that's a, one way when I was preparing this, I thought that is a prime example of the way that people show unconditional love. See, my mom, she's probably watching. Hi, mom. Um, but she'll always love me no matter what I do. She always used to say um, she didn't care what I did in terms of a job. She said I could work in McDonald's, I could do whatever, or I could be a doctor. Um, but it was as long as I was happy. And I think that was really encouraging for me, like, like just to have that unconditional aspect attached to her love. And there's different ways that we can show this unconditional love. So in our lives, this may look like praying for those who've betrayed us, those who've hurt us even when we trusted them the most. It means wishing that person the best 
even if they deserve the worst or they've done the worst in our eyes. And this can personally be in our individual lives. So maybe someone betrayed your trust. Maybe there's someone who broke your heart two, five, ten years ago. You still haven't been able to forgive them. Maybe there's someone who's still actively trying to cause you damage and wants the worst for you. But God is calling us to love and pray for those people. And as a collective, as a body, this may be praying and loving those who seem directly opposed to our faith. This may be government officials who create and support laws that are directly against our biblical morals. This may be political movements and systems. For me and other members of the NHS, it may be the management of the NHS. This may be members of or entire faith groups. God is calling us not to simply pray against sinful and ungodly things happening, but pray for those who are facilitating those actions. And even the love Jesus shows to us, we've all done things that make us undeserving of this love. We all sin. It's part of who we are as humans. But in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all offend him. We all have done things that offend him and hurt his heart. But still he loves us. Still he runs after us and chases after us. There's nothing that separates us from his love. And loving without discrimination looks like loving regardless of those who have offended or hurt us. And when we love indiscriminately, we have the chance to love like Jesus and get to look like him more. But what does it really look like to love our enemies? How do we do that? It's a big ask. Um, I understand that. And it is only through the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we pray for our enemies, it's an act of mercy. It's an act of love. And sometimes it is really all too easy to come up with reasons why we may not do that. And sometimes it's all too easy to ignore wisdom. But we have to approach all things with the perspective of Christ so that we may see good fruit. And you can love someone and not talk to them. You can love someone and not be in constant relationship or communication or even seeing them constantly. In this sense, we get that notion where we can love someone from a distance. Love doesn't always mean that someone has to be in your innermost circle. Jesus loved everyone in his time here on earth and he still loves everyone now. But he only had 12 disciples, and only three of those were the ones that were in his innermost circle, the closest ones. But that distance, loving from a distance, isn't grounds for allowing bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness to rise up. But that's the exact opposite of what God is wanting from us. And what does that word in, in the latter half of verse 44, the word persecute, what does that mean? So this means to harass, it means to trouble, it means to run swiftly after. And it's interesting that Jesus tells us to pray for those who persecute us. People who persecute mean to do harm, that is their intention. But with prayer, our intention is to do good. We pray to see God move in their life. We pray out of a genuine heart and an unselfish concern for that person. And we see people through the eyes of God. So as the church for the city, we must be those who pray for those who intend to persecute the church. This may be praying for political parties, governments, religions, whatever it may be. On a more individual basis, we have to pray for those who may find the gospel foolish. It's not that they are intentionally hateful, but more often than not, their eyes have just been 
shielded from the truth of the gospel, and their hearts have been hardened to the good news. Again, this is an example of us loving without discrimination. That act of prayer of love, no, the act of love that is prayer, is just such an amazing thing. Even for me personally, um, it's a great compliment when someone says they're praying for me. Now let's move on to verse 45. So this talks about, um, for you are children of God. And other translations read, prove yourself as children of God. And so as children often resemble their parents on the earth. So some of them is physical ways. They may have the same face. For me, I have my mom's nose, but obviously my parents mixed color. Um, But sometimes there's a way of having, you know, that physical um, mannerisms or phrases. And we too, as children of God, are meant to resemble God. We're made in the image of God. And children can represent their family. We represent God. We're on behalf of God. And this is how we function as ambassadors in the world, just as Megan preached on a few weeks back. We are being called to love the way God loves, and it's a big ask. But God wouldn't ask us to do the impossible without him. But we can do this by God's grace and God's mercy and relying on the Holy Spirit to empower us to do so. And that part about, so in the, so the part where it says, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What does that even mean? So I was confused when I read it. I was confused why the weather was being described. Um, but it says these two things, the sun and the rain, are key things for crops to grow and to produce to grow. And these things hint at God's provision. So just as Benita shared so aptly in the beginning, it hints about Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And it shows that God provides an unconditional love and grace to everyone. He gives it freely, no matter if we deserve it or not. And he makes provisions for us. Again, this is a call from Jesus to love without discrimination. Just as he has loved us, no matter what we have done, he is calling us to love others, no matter what they have done. And as we are invited into the privilege and being called to be like Christ, we are also invited to love regardless of any differences. And partnering with that agape love that we demonstrate enables us to be made to look more like Jesus. And unconditional love is much easier than said than done. Love isn't just an emotion. It's not just an attitude, but it's an action. It's a set of behaviors. In John chapter 14, verse... 15, it says, so this is Jesus speaking, if you love me, obey my commands. So how does this active love look like? So love can look like giving and providing someone else with something. People often refer to the love languages. And so, for example, me, I am quality time and acts of service. I love showing my appreciation and love for people by spending time with them, but also by doing stuff for them as well. And there's other languages that I've forgotten. Um, But I believe that God expresses all of them towards us. And we can do the same as we live out our lives as ambassadors for him. We can easily say that we give as a love language. But then we only give primarily to our friends and our family and those closest to us. However, sometimes if we're faced with the opportunity to give to a stranger, such as a homeless person, sometimes then we begin to give reasons and excuses and arguments why not. For example, they did it to themselves. 
I only give out food because I know if I give them money, they'll only use it for drugs and alcohol. But God is calling us not into that, but to love without discrimination. And in verse 46, it talks about if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors like that? Sorry, I've just lost my position. Now I've got it. Yes. Um, what Jesus is saying here is that if you love conditionally, then you are no different from a tax collector. If we only give when we receive, which is known as reciprocal love, then you are no better than a tax collector. So tax collectors, to give context, in biblical time, they were just known as, frankly, a scum. Um, they were Jews working for the Romans and basically traitors to the Jewish people. They were supporting the Roman oppressors for their own gain. But the tax collectors didn't only just take enough money that the Roman Empire asked for taxes, but they went above and beyond for their own gain and their own profit. They would keep the extra for themselves. And an example of a tax collector is found in Luke chapter 19, verse 8, which details the account of a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. I don't resemble him at all, please. Um, but he, it details his account there. And so for the audience that Jesus was speaking to, this was offensive. No one would want to be like a cheating tax collector. And it was offensive to imply otherwise. Funnily enough, the disciple Matthew, who wrote this book, was actually a tax collector before being called by the Lord. But Jesus here was calling his audience on the Sermon on the Mount, but also us too, to a higher standard. We can't be like the people of the world who only give with the expectation to receive. We can't be like those who only give to someone when they feel like they've already given something to us. But we are called to a higher standard. And by loving those who love us, who hate us, we stand out as people of the kingdom of God. Because this is a counter-cultural act. And we see more of this kind of this line of thinking in verse 47, where it says, if you only greet those who greet you, are you no different than a Gentile or a pagan? And the word greet there means to welcome. It means to embrace, salute, to pay respects to, even to receive joyfully and draw unto yourself. It doesn't mean just to do this by action such as hugs, but even to ask of each other's welfare. How are you really doing that kind of stuff? And Jesus again compares those who only greet the brothers and the people within the body of Christ. That's the collection of Christians overall. He compares that to someone who is outside of the Jewish camp, a Gentile. A Gentile was someone who is non-Jewish, not coming from the nation of Israel. And for Jesus to imply that people who weren't doing those things, weren't greeting the strangers, that, that to imply that they were Gentiles and non-Jewish would have been offensive to those Pharisees who prided themselves so much on being Jewish. And this would have been very hard to receive for the Jews at the time. And what Jesus is challenging us here is if we only embrace those already in the faith or those who we are already called close to, how will we draw more people to God? And I remember when I first came to Imprint almost three years ago now, and I was just a little 19-year-old boy with a high top and skinny jeans, much skinnier than these. Um, and I walked in and I was greeted by Benita. Um, and she greeted me with a big smile and a big hug. 
And at the time, I wasn't the biggest fan, as you t could probably tell. I didn't list physical touch as my love language. So I wasn't the biggest fan of physical touch. So I was thinking at the time, why on earth is this person hugging me? I don't know you. But I think that's just such a picture of how we are supposed to be. How we are supposed to be embracing those strangers that we don't yet know. Maybe not literally, but in a metaphorical way. You can do it literally if you want, just ask nicely. Um, but we should be people that invite and embrace the stranger and welcome them into our midst. And Jesus here is calling us to shift our focus and our attention from within the church to those people who are without the church. We're called to do these three things. We're called to do up, in, and out relationships, which overall will make us look more like Jesus. So upward relationship is our relationship with God. So that's through worship and prayer. Our inward relationship is our relation with those already in the body of Christ. So that looks like serving people and being accountable. And outward relationship is our relation to the world. This is loving unbelievers, sharing the gospel, serving the poor and needy. And just like a few weeks back, Pastor Wale shared in a sermon, you can catch it on YouTube. And sometimes we have too much of an inward focus. Sometimes we're too insular in nature, which in itself isn't wrong. We're called to have that reliance on each other as the body of Christ. But we need to change our mindset from neglecting that outward focus and change our mindset from being Christian focused to being focused on reaching those who don't yet know Jesus. Now, this experiment didn't work too well in the first service. So I'm going to try again. So when I, we asked you at the beginning to say hi to someone near to you, raise your hand if you only spoke to someone you already knew. Oh, that's so much better than the first one. Uh, okay. Yes. Um, so as humans, we tend to go for the familiar and the easier part of greeting others and being those that we already know. But I'm going to set you a challenge to go forward. So today, after the service is done, I'm going to challenge you to speak to someone in this room that you've never spoken to before. I know for those of us who are introverted, that they, that might be not the most fun, but we love you. We're not going to bite. We're not, we're not horrible. We'll love you regardless. And just some prompts. You can ask them how their week has been. What's their favorite color and why? I know. If you ask me, I'm sorry, I don't have an answer, but <laughs> maybe ask them, what's their favorite memory? Get to know them. Then after this, do this in your week to someone in your workplace or your uni. If you're really brave, do it on TFL, do it on public transport. I won't be doing that one. Um, but I encourage you to do nevertheless. Um, so let's carry on moving on. I hope you remember that, by the way. I'll be checking in. Um, in verse 48, we read, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, being requested to do perfection is almost impossible. But the Greek word here is the word teleos. And teleos means having reached its end. It's complete in all its parts. It's fully grown. It talks about a completeness of Christian character. Telios speaks of a developing, of an unfolding, one stage at a time to function at full strength. So, for example, if you can picture, I don't know if all of you will know this, but like a pirate's telescope, so it's the one that like stretches out over time. 
When it's fully stretched out, then it is complete. Then it's at its final stage. It's complete in all its parts. And Jesus, in this statement of telling us to be perfect, is telling us we need to be grown. We need to be fully mature and operating in the level of character that he asks us. Once more, we are being called to a higher standard because of who we are. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, God, we're called to be a holy nation. We're God's special possession. We're a royal priesthood. So because of who we are, we must act differently. And our character is an expression of our identity. The more sure of our identity in Christ that we are, and how sure we are of who he has called us to be as individuals and as a body, then the more that we can express ourselves and express that identity in the way that we speak, that we act, and that we function. And as humans, we're made in the image of the Trinity. We're composed of three. We're body, we're soul, which is like your mind, your will, emotions, and your spirit. So most of us, if you're beyond 18, you're probably physically grown. I'm sorry for those of you who are shorter. Um, but this verse is not merely just a call. It's not a call into physical maturity. It's a call into spiritual but also emotional maturity. So we need to be emotionally mature. We have to find a way to process our emotions yet still love without discrimination. And 1 Corinthians 13 verse 11 is a call for overall maturity. So Paul writes, when I was a child, I taught like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And in this context, Paul was talking about how we know and prophesy only in part with the whole picture. And he's calling us out of the way that we first spoke as spiritual infants, the way that we fought, the way that we reasoned. And he's calling us into thinking more like Christ, of talking more like Jesus, of looking more like Jesus. A child and an adult can be differentiated by simply looking at them both, by their stature. But as we, as such, we should look differently as we progress and as we mature in relationship and, and spiritually wise. It's like going to the gym. You may not notice instantly the fruits of your, your banging gym, but over the course of months and a year, you should notice a difference in who you are that you're more like Jesus. So let's actually move to 1 Corinthians 13. So for context, whilst you're turning there, um, this is a letter from Paul to the Corinthian church. And the chapter before previously discusses all the amazing spiritual gifts that we have access to as believers. So this is such as speaking in tongues, as prophesying, as healing, and as in miracles. So yeah, 1 Corinthians 13, I don't believe... I'm not going to read it all, so we're just going to quickly go through it. So in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes about the importance of love. And love is essential and should be the way that we operate. It should be our operating system. And throughout this chapter, we see that the word love is reiterated over and over again. And again, the word love here is agape. It's that God kind of love. It's that indiscriminate kind of love. And in verse 2, it reads, If I have the gift of prophecy... And, cannot, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. So here we find that love is essential to our being. 
What Paul writes here is that we can have all the gifts of the Spirit that may make us seem externally great and externally holy. But if we don't have love at the center of all these things, then we are nothing. And the motivation and the, when we use these spiritual gifts should be one of love. We should prophesy to see the improvement of someone else. To prophesy means to speak the mind of God to someone. And we should prophesy to wish them all the best. Not merely that we may be seen as super spiritual ones with all the accurate words of knowledge and words of prophecy. And verse 3. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So here that we see that love is essential to our gain. No matter what is done externally, it only matters if love is a central motive behind it. And this is challenging for us. And that was the issue with the, the Pharisees in the time of Jesus. So these were a people group that were very loud about their religion. These were people that would make sure everyone saw when they'd give to the poor or when they're praying in public. They'd even use like dyes on their face to make their face look more sunken when they're fasting. So they look like they'd fasted a lot. And in Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 to 26, Jesus, we're not going to go there, but Jesus isn't merely concerned about the actions, but he's concerned about the motive and the heart behind them. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, man sees the exterior, but God looks at the heart. It's not the outcome, it's the way that you got there. So it's like when your maths teacher in school would deduct marks for not showing you're working. It's because there's many, many different ways to get to the same outcome. Some of these will be shortcuts. Some of these won't be actually the right, proper way. You just stumbled upon it. But we must be people who are not merely concerned with the outcome. We're not merely concerned with the actions for the sake of actions. So we're not just, con we're not just concerned with evangelizing because we're evangelizing. We're not, evan we're not concerned with making disciples because we're making disciples. But we are doing these things out of position of love in our own hearts, that so we may do these things with the right motives. And God is calling us to be a people group focused on the why we are doing things and not the what we are doing. And even if we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it talks about God loves a cheerful giver. And I link this, I said, if, it give, if we give out a compulsion rather than love, it means nothing. If we serve on a Sunday just simply to stick to a rota rather than out of a love for God, then it means nothing. If we serve to avoid guilt rather than serving out of a genuine love for people, it means nothing. But the motivation has to be love. So what Paul writes here is that no matter what we do, if we don't have love, there is nothing of gain. There's not been true impact the success is not merely defined by the actions and the outcomes. It's about the journey of how you got there. So we're just going to, before I summarize as I'm wrapping up, I'm just going to ask you to write down these couple of questions. So you can talk about these in crews or you can reflect on them in your own personal time. But you can ask yourself, what does it look like for me to love my enemies? Who do I need to love? You can ask yourself, does the way I think reflect God? Don't worry, I'm going to repeat them as well. The way I think about myself, about others, and about God.
Does the way I talk reflect God? Does the way I act reflect God? Do I only love others when I am loved by them? Do I only give with the expectation to receive? And finally, do I love without discrimination? No matter who someone is or what they have done. So I'll quickly read them out again. So what does it look like for me to love my enemies? Who do I need to love? Does the way I think about myself, about others, and about God reflect God? Does the way I talk reflect God? Does the way I act reflect God? Do I only love others when I am loved by them? Do I only give with the expectation to receive? And do I love without discrimination? And just as I'm wrapping up, I'd love to welcome back the worship team. And we're just going to turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. So that's 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. And this reads, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world, so that we may have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Amen. So this means that God loved this person so much. When you look at anyone you go down the street, that he sent his son to die for them. So as such, we should love them too. We're called to love indiscriminately. Jesus didn't only die for a select group of people. He died for all. So we're called to love indiscriminately, to love without discrimination. So if you're able to and you're willing, I'd invite you to stand up as we go into a time of prayer. So yeah, just... Fix your eyes on Jesus in this moment. Just forget about the person to your left or to your right or in front of you or behind you. Whatever you need to do to just fix your eyes on Jesus in this time. Sweet Jesus, Lord, we love you. Lord God, we welcome you here. Lord God, we thank you that you're already here. Thank you, Holy God, that you see each and every one of us individually. And I thank you, God, that you died for us all, Lord Jesus. Lord God, we thank you that you love us so dearly. And even during this talk, you may have felt that you may have been loving people conditionally. That you may have only given love when you've received it. And I'm just going to invite you to repent. And partner with that unconditional love to see people the way that God sees them.
So yeah, let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just repent, Lord God, of any ways that we have loved conditionally, Lord God. Lord God, where we have loved only when others have loved us. Where we have only greeted those and embraced those who we already know and who we already love. Lord, we repent of partnering with hate, Lord God. We're partnering with hate instead of your unconditional love. And Lord, we just repent for where we have loved with discrimination. And right now, Jesus, we just let go of discrimination. We give you everything now. We let go of conditional love. And we say that we want to love unconditionally. We want to love people the way that you love them, Jesus. Yeah, and I just invite you even to pray that, ask God to help you see others the way that he sees them. Help you to to love others the way that he loves them. Yeah, Lord Jesus, help us to do exactly that. Help us to see others with the eyes of God. Help us to see them as your son or your daughter made in your image that you died for and Lord God just remove any judgment any bitterness that we may have towards anyone may our love not be forced but may you make it so natural oh Jesus and Lord God we just let go of that bitterness Lord God we let go of unforgiveness Lord Jesus and we just ask that you would heal our hearts now Jesus some of us it may be a fact that there may be of certain traumatic events that have happened in your life that are making you feel like you can't love others that you can't have that unconditional love you may believe that you can only love those who love you but the Lord is taking off that lie of you now so Lord God right now we just strip trauma of all of its power Lord God we take all authority away from trauma Lord Jesus And Lord, we just welcome your healing. Come and heal our minds. Come and heal our hearts. Lord Jesus, come and restore that unconditional love, Lord Jesus. Help us to love unconditionally once more. And Lord God, just help us to heal those emotions. Yeah, come Holy Spirit and just heal those emotions. Keep on doing a work in our hearts, oh God. I speak a realignment of our minds, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, where our minds and our, our hearts and our emotions and desires have been out of, out of sync with yours, Lord Jesus. We just speak an alignment in Jesus' name. I speak the peace that, declared, that surpasses all understanding, Lord Jesus, over everyone under the sound of my voice in the room and online. Jesus, just come and heal our hearts. Come and wash away the pain. Come and wash away any anything that we've picked up along the way that isn't of you, Jesus. Lord God, we just let go of it all. And we say, Jesus, we want a life founded on your love. Founded on that unconditional love, Lord Jesus. We want a life, Lord God, where we just love and see others the way that you see them. Not with our own human opinions. Not with our own human emotions, Lord God. 
And yeah, Lord God, we just say that we repent, Lord God, for where we have been led by our emotions instead of your spirit. And Lord God, we just take emotions off that throne now, Lord God, and we say, Lord God, we will be led by you and you alone. Lead us, Holy Spirit, wherever you would have us go. Help us to naturally love others. And yeah, we do have a prayer team on the left. If any of these things, if you feel like you need to, someone to pray with you, we would l- more than love to help you. And I just feel that someone in here, you feel like someone broke their promise to you. And it's made you doubt in the faithfulness and the loyalty of people. But it's also affected your trust in God. And God is saying that a display of man's unfaithfulness doesn't mean that he himself is unfaithful. He's going to be reminding us all of how faithful of him he is and how precious he is. And yeah, for some of us, this may be a message where we feel, I actually want to receive that unconditional love. And if you haven't received that unconditional love that comes with being in relationship with Jesus, or you feel like you want to be restored into that intimate connection with Jesus again. You feel like you want to recommit to him. I'm just going to invite us all to repeat after me if we can. So Heavenly Father, I come before you today to receive your mercy and to receive your grace. I thank you that you died for me so that I can live eternally. I leave the old life and I receive the life that you have for me. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Holy Spirit, come and power me. Lord Jesus, I make you the Lord and the Savior of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if that was your first time saying that or that was the first time you said it in a while and you feel like you want to recommit your life to Jesus, please come talk to me after. Come talk to Benita. Um, Even talk to Megan there. Um, we'd love to connect with you Um, but yeah now we're just going to go into a time of worship and really reflect on what we've just heard